listening to Minding the Brain with Dr. Kim Hellemans and Dr. Jim Davies. Episode 44, Free Will. You decided to listen to Minding the Brain today, but did you choose to listen to us freely? Today, we're going to talk about the psychology of free will. That's the psychology of free will. And the neuroscience of free will. (laughs) We're emphasizing this because a lot of what you hear about free will is philosophy. And we're not going to be able to completely avoid talking about philosophy, but our focus here is going to be on the science. Exactly. So, scientifically, Jim, what is free will? Well, the problem is there's no agreed-upon answer to that question. And as you'll find out, your opinion on free will, whether it's possible, for example, will probably have more to do with the definition you like than any kind of scientific result. But usually it has something to do with control over your actions, your thoughts, and the behaviors of your body. So if you ask most people on the street what free will is, they'll usually contrast it with some kind of predetermination. That is, if they feel that somebody did something because of some predictable chain of physical events, then they get a feeling that there wasn't free will. That makes sense to me, but, you know, we need to dig in a little further, I think. There's a neuroscientist by the name of Benjamin Libet who ran a famous free will experiment, and he brought in participants into the lab, told them to move their arm whenever they felt like it, kind of like watching a clock slowly spinning a hand on a dial. Yeah, it's a tough task. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I hope they got compensated for that study. And anyway, after they did move their arm, Libet asked them whether they had or when they had decided to do it. So they're, they're, they move their arm and whenever they want, and then uh, was, were asked, when did you decide to move your arm? Yeah, right? right, right. Well, after they moved, they looked at the clock thing and pointed to where they estimated the hand was when they decided to move their hand. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, it was earlier, obviously, than the actual hand motion. As it turns out, the participants were hooked up to an EEG machine. So what's EEG? Well... Um, EEG is a, is a way to image the activity of the brain, right? It's measuring um, the, the activity of cells that are firing in your cortex, right? So if you've seen pictures of people with little white nodes on their head uh, connected to wires, that's an EEG. So it's measuring your brainwave activity, and it's just basically an, um, it's an indicator of what, what circuits in your brain are active at any given time point. Mm-hmm. And what Libet found, which was interesting, is that he could tell by looking at the EEG readout when the arm was going to move before the participant said that they had decided to move it. So the researchers could tell when the arm would be moved before the participant even decided to move it? That's right. (laughs) Okay, that was the mind-blowing sound. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Thanks, Mike. (laughs) Okay, thanks, Mike. Okay. So so explain this to me again. Yeah, so basically, your brain scan, it produces this flurry of activity that was apparently ramping up for the movement. It's like the pre-activity before the activity, if that makes sense. So it's particularly in this region of the brain known as the supplementary motor area that revs up. And it's only about a third of a second later does the participant actually say that they've decided to move their arm. And shortly after that, the arm actually moves. And a lot of people would interpret this as evidence of there being no actual free will, right? Because the the, the, the neuronal activity preceded the decision to move. 
Yes, yes, that is that is a common interpretation of this experiment. So let's dig in a little bit and think about what this experiment is actually measuring. So when the participant is asked to estimate when they made the decision, they are constrained because they can only report on what they're conscious of. Right, so the estimate, when did I decide to move my arm, is actually an estimate of when they were conscious of deciding to move their arm. Right. So it looks like this experiment shows that there are unconscious brain processes that come before and probably cause the conscious decision to move the arm. Mm-hmm. That's right, which is why people say there's no free will. Right, but hold on here. So there's a hidden assumption in this interpretation and this conclusion, and that is that free will means conscious free will. Well, what's the opposition? Like, uh, un- opposed to unconscious free will? Right, unconscious free will. So hear me out here. So when people talk about free will, they're talking about their ability to freely choose what they do. But when we talk about ourselves, we mean different things at different times. So have you ever heard the expression, my brain made me do it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. And it sounds kind of silly, right? Well, yeah. As a neuroscientist, yes, because you are your brain. To say my brain made me do it makes it sound like your identity is something completely different, but that's not the case, right? Yeah, I think it's a little silly too, but even I can understand what people mean by it, right? When we identify some specific brain activity that controls a certain behavior, people tend to dissociate from it. Mm, What do you mean? You know, it's, well, it's as though they believe deep down, and though maybe not intellectually, that they are more than a brain. So if we describe something in terms of neurotransmitters or neuron firing, well, that's something different. But you are your brain. <laughs> right. So, so let's go with that. So if you are your brain, then what does Libet's experiment actually show? That your brain made a decision to move the arm at a particular time? And so what? Mm, right. So, well, I guess the, the discrepancy is that your conscious awareness of the decision came after some unconscious decision. Correct. Right. So, it, but if you interpret the experiment as showing that you don't have free will, you're assuming that free will means conscious free will. But that's not a universally accepted meaning of it, because who says free will has to be conscious? Yeah, but doesn't the experiment show that our decisions aren't conscious? Well, maybe, okay? Uh, That experiment and many that were done after it have been criticized because the task is so weird. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, asking someone just to move their arm whenever they feel like it might not be representative of the kind of decisions we care about. Right, yeah. Like, it's one thing to say that you have an unconscious process that decides when to move your arm for no reason at all, and consciousness is only, like, alerted later on. But it's another thing to say that your conscious thinking has no effect on your decision about, say, like, where to go to university or who to marry or something like that. (laughs) Really, what other result would we expect? The brain doesn't stop working ever. There will always be conscious and unconscious things happening before any decision, frankly. Right. Yes, that's a good point. Still, so we can't dismiss this because even uh, Michael Gazaniga, who's a very respected neuroscientist, believes that our conscious experience of decision making is just an after the fact narrative understanding. So as though like an un an unknown part of your brain or like an unconscious part of your brain will uh, make a decision about something and then your consciousness kind of get informed about it later. Right. It's yeah, like you said, it's like the it's like the written version of a thought. That makes sense, right? I don't know. Yeah. It's like, yeah. But but getting back to free will, if we don't require that free will is actually conscious, then the experiment doesn't allow you to conclude anything about it. It only shows that some brain processing happens before a decision. Right. So mind not blown. Right? Right. <laughs> so people yeah. people tend to think that they are not in control when you describe their brain processes. That's weird. I know, I know. But you know the you know the phrase my brain made me do it. Yes. That's a <laughs> right. so the r- ridiculous phrase. Mm-hmm. Right. So you mm-hmm. and I think it's ridiculous because we both believe that you you ki- that you are kind of your brain. Mhm. Ki- kind of? 
<laughs> right. Well, I think you really believe it. And I believe you are your mind, but we don't need to get into that. <laughs> Boy, mindy the brain duel. Short sword unsheathed. <laughs> um, so saying my brain made me do it kind of makes it sound like you're some non-physical entity that is separate from your brain. And didn't we get away with that? with Descartes, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think that people might intellectually believe that they're their brain in some context, but uh, there's something deep down that, that, that doesn't seem to make sense to them about it, right? Mm-hmm. I think people intuitively believe it, right? Like, they feel they're making decisions until you describe to them how the brain works, and then suddenly they feel powerless. Right, we see this in court cases, right? Yes, yes, it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. So sometimes well, people will argue that someone behaved in a certain way because of brain damage, uh, and it's natural to assume that this means that they weren't in control. But the brain is always in control. We just don't really understand how. Exactly, right, which is what makes this thing so weird. As long as people are ignorant of the brain processes, then they're happy to assume that they still have free will. <laughs> Jeez. Well, there's something about knowing the causal links to behavior that makes people think free will actually isn't there. Yeah, and, and here's where a bit of philosophy has to come into this discussion. So some things that happen in this universe are determined. And what this means is that given some earlier state of the universe and the laws of physics, the natural laws of uh, science, only one thing can happen. And that is a deterministic system. Now, modern physics believes some things are truly random and you can't predict the behavior of some particles based on the past and the laws of physics. It's inherently random and probabilistic. But whether or not your brain activity is deterministic or random at a physics level, well, neither one really feels like free will. Mm. Tell me more. So if you you believe that free will means being able to decide to do something in spite of the laws of physics, then you're thinking of free will as what we call counter-causal, okay? Now, if you think that to make a free decision, you have to be able to decide to do something that would break the laws of physics, then you probably don't believe in free will because it looks like physics underlies all of our brain decisions. But not everybody is like that, right? right? So some people are called compatibilists who think that you can have free will even if the laws of physics determine whatever you do. So who? what's right? Which one? Well, that's a problem. So there's no scientific way to know what the right way to think about free will is, right? How we define free will is not a scientific question. It's, it's, it's a concept that's pre-scientific. Okay, well, let's bring this back to the body, right? When the doctor hits your knee with that little rubber hammer, your leg will kick out automatically, right? Right, the reflex action. Yeah, and this happens because of nerve signals that never even reach your brain, right? And this is why you can't control it. And it seems like a great example of not really having free will out of our it control. It does. It does. But I mean, and by just about anybody's definition, the uh, that that reflex is is not considered free will. But let's think about it carefully. This reflex happens uh, without any part of your body, brain, or spinal cord included considering any other action, right? So it's a little bit more like uh, like a row of dominoes falling down. Right. No. Well, let's scale this up to something like a compulsion. Right, right. Like compulsions, which are related to addictions, which is your specialty. Absolutely, right. So compulsions are defined by your inability to resist doing something through force of will, right? This is a symptom of addiction, but also we see this in obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. Mm-hmm. What's interesting yeah. about these cases is that people feel betrayed by their brain, mm. right? They have a second-order desire not to, say, drink alcohol or wash their hands constantly, but some lower-order desire somehow gets the upper hand, and they do it anyway. Yeah, which is an incredibly frustrating, both to the individual and people around them, right, that mm-hmm. feel like, well, can't you just control it, right? And it's understandable. They feel like, literally, they've lost control and don't have free will, or is it just that they have less free will? 
Yeah, these are great examples because they force us to think about our uh, decision-making working at different levels and try to get at what we want to mean by free will. So someone with a compulsion feels like they have an option not to engage in the task, but they can't ever exercise the option. Mm. Uh, And Mm -hmm. this is in contrast with the reflex where, you know, uh, it's like it's almost as if you're watching someone else's leg do something. Mm. So, you know, people don't feel betrayed by their body necessarily like because of a reflex action. Right. And above that, we actually have complex decisions that do feel very free like choosing a brand of applesauce to buy at the store or something. Right. But I want to go back to the idea that everything we do is a brain decision, right? So mm-hmm. we, you and I both believe that, you know, mm-hmm. everything that you do is yeah. a result of some physical process in a brain, right? Yep. And just because we don't know what the brain is going to produce, uh, don't we, we don't know uh, what the brain is going to produce, you know, this behavior or that behavior, it doesn't mean there isn't some kind of brain process that's making the decision. Right. And I would argue there is always a cause for what you do. We don't understand it and we don't, we can't yeah. see it. All right. All right. So this reminds, I, I like the example of some, a disorder called transient global amnesia. Mm. Uh, people, sometimes people can't store anything into long term memory for like a period of usually a few hours. Now, I highly recommend looking at the online video. It's Tuesday, Transient Global Amnesia. And we're going to have a link to that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And it shows a conversation uh, with a woman who has this problem. And the conversation just loops and loops. She says almost exactly the same thing over and over and over when she's talking to her daughter in the hospital. And it's creepy. And it shows, though, that your brain is poised to act in certain ways. And one of the main reasons we don't just do and say the same thing exactly over and over is because we have memory. We remember having said it before. We remember the answers to our questions, and we don't need to ask it again. Mm. But the fact that this looping happens in the uh, in the absence of memory suggests that our decisions are strongly determined by our brain state. So is this patient engaged in free will every time she goes through this loop? And That's a great question. You know, like yeah. if someone just says, hey, what day is it? And the, and you, they, somebody says, oh, it's Tuesday. You might think, yeah, they freely chose to. Yeah. Ask what day it was, but what if this happened six times in five minutes? God. Right? Is it yeah. the first time? The first time they asked it was free and then it wasn't, right? Yeah, People feel yeah. like the answer is no. The fact that she does the same thing over and over indicates that her behavior is determined and therefore they sometimes they sometimes conclude it must not be free. Well what do you think? Well, I like definitions that are useful. <laughs> well, that's absurd. <laughs> 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 so what I mean by that is that if you define free will as being able to make decisions outside the causal structure of the universe, then one, we have no free will. And two, we've basically made the term useless. <laughs> like, here's the thing. If you define it that way, I mean, it sounds kind of silly, right? If free will doesn't exist by definition, right? Um, and if you say something doesn't exist by definition, then you're really not saying anything important mm. or scientific about the world. You've just you've just sort of defined free will out of existence. Yeah, and this gets back to what you were saying in our uh, episode on conspiracy theory, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. If you want to say something substantial about the universe, you have to be talking about something that maybe you can think of could be true in some possible universe. But if you define free will as being outside the causal structure of the universe, there's no conceivable observation that would ever convince you that free will existed, which means that you have what we'd call a vacuous claim, right? Mm. So I like to ask people who don't believe in free will, I say, okay, well, what if there actually were free will in the universe? What would it, what would the universe look like? And most people don't have a good answer to that question, <laughs> which indicates that they're sort of defining free will out of existence. Well, what should we use it for, the term? Well, I don't really know. I mean, I have smart friends who think that the term is too overloaded and mm-hmm. should just be abandoned, right? Um, 
because it's just so confusing. Nobody really agrees what it means. And, and even if people do agree on what it means, they're, you know, it's, they're defining it out of existence or something. But I think there are important and interesting differences between, say, a reflex and a compulsion and like a normal decision um, about like which applesauce to mm-hmm. buy. And maybe our notion of what free will is should distinguish between those things. Yeah, I like that. And, and so does belief in this, in the concept of free will, or the idea of free will actually make people act better or worse, right? Yeah, that's a great question, right? Scholars uh, who believe or don't believe in free will will often argue that if people agreed with them, then people would act morally, <laughs> right? <laughs> so some people think that, like, if you don't believe in free will, it's going to be like, oh, well, I have no choice, so yeah, I can go ahead right. and do something bad. Right. And other people argue that if you do believe in free will, then you are more likely to pick the moral choice. Hmm. But luckily, science comes to the rescue Woo-hoo. after all this theorizing. A recent study showed that it seems to make really no difference at all. So if you manipulate people's beliefs in free will, say through a persuasive essay, and then you measure its effects on morality, like cheating, the effects are only small and temporary. Oh, boo. Well, there's another side to this, right? When people behave badly, people are more likely to attribute that to free will. Oh, what do you mean? Well, I think that, you know, I'm thinking about an experiment where they suggested to people that the universe completely determined people's actions through laws of physics and biology, and then they gave them two scenarios. So, for example, John ate French fries, or John killed his wife so he could have an affair. And then the group that was asked about the murder was more likely to attribute free will to John than the group that was asked about him eating French fries. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. It just goes to show the other direction, too, right? So our ideas of free will have also have a lot to do with whether or not somebody deserves blame, right? Yeah, so generally people don't think someone gets credit or blame for their actions unless they had free will to do those actions. And that's why we have lawyers defending clients with the <laughs> their brain made them do it arguments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, some people define free will as that which makes someone deserve credit or blame for their actions. Yeah, and our justice system our justice system is there in part to try to manipulate people's behaviors through conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The fear, yeah. the fear of being punished keeps many people from breaking the law more than they do. But uh, conditioning behaviors is only one of the functions of the justice system. People also have a very deep feeling about people deserving to be punished. This is like over and above its effects on the future. Um, so, yes, punishment might prevent you from committing a crime in the future or knowledge of your punishment might deter others from committing crimes. But beyond all of that, uh, some people believe that some people deserve hardship because of what they've done. And this is this justification of punishment is called retribution. But that's problematic because it has a lot to do with the vague notion of, of free will, right? Someone only deserves blame or credit if they freely choose to do something. Right. And as we explained earlier, our attributions of will are based on kind of silly factors like whether you can point to some brain damage or neurotransmitter or not. I guess if you get rid of the retributive justice and we only focus on deterrence, then free will doesn't really matter as much. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, mm-hmm. if all we care about is punishing or rewarding people so that we have better future outcomes and don't worry about specifically deserving or blame, then whether or not the choices were free or unfree, conscious or unconscious, none of that matters. Uh, well... Out of curiosity, is that where the insanity plea resides? Is it if you plead insanity, is it you're trying to prove that that person has no free will? Yeah, you kind of are, right? And I and I think that even people, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but people in the addiction world talk about um, addictive behaviors and compulsions in terms of a lack of free will. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, and it, and it's and it's we laugh at the brain made me do it like phrase, but in a way, it's kind of a similar. Um, it's kind of a similar notion, mm-hmm. right? So, like, the insanity 
the so-called insanity um, uh, defense is basically saying that like the, the the there's something up with their mental state or their brain or their mm. or uh, mental illness that prevents them from having the kind of deliberative decision making right. that most people enjoy, and therefore they don't deserve mm-hmm. to be uh, punished for what they in fact did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, out of curiosity, do you believe in free will? I do, but only because I defined it to mm. be, um, I, I define it in a very specific way. I define it to be um, like uh, any choice made when some other choice was considered. Sort of like you estimate the yeah. utility of a different choice and you pick the one with the highest choice. Any choice that's done that way is free will. But like almost nobody agrees with that definition, so it's sort of meaningless. Is that, That's sort of what you were alluding to earlier about the different, we, we need to classify different kinds of decisions according to free will or not, right? Like free yeah, will right. almost needs to be dis, disaggregated. Yeah, so yeah. the patella reflex. Yeah. When, you know, there's your, your your spinal cord isn't saying, hmm, should I kick out the leg or should yeah. I do this other thing? What would be yeah. the best thing to do? And and then pick the thing with the highest number of points. It doesn't do that. But many of your decisions are like that, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to decide whether to jump out of the way of a car or you're trying to decide what to have for dinner, you're weighing benefits and drawbacks and picking the thing that you have the highest expected value. That's what I call free will. And what's interesting about it is that most of your choices in, or well, I don't know about most, but many of your Decisions in life are not free. Um, it's only when you're when you can when some part of your mind and it might not even be conscious is considering more than one thing. Hmm. It also means that it's like trivially easy to program a computer with free will. All you have to do is have a bunch of options and it picks the one it wants the most. Wow, that's like above my head and under my feet. I, I feel like I'm sitting flashback into my undergraduate psychology courses talking about <laughs> free will. <laughs> so, so did people use free will to decide to listen to this podcast? Well, I think we can conclude two things. We both don't know, and it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) That is progress. Woo! Minding the Brain is edited by me, Mike Contos, and brought to you by Carleton University's Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences and the Faculty of Science. If you want to support Minding the Brain, please consider leaving us a review in your podcast app of choice, as it will help make our podcast more visible to potential listeners. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Minding the Brain. Minding the Brain is currently looking for sponsors. If your company is interested, please email us at mindingthebrainpodcast at gmail.com. Music is plucked by Michael Terry. More episodes and show notes available at mindingthebrainpodcast.com.